We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we're going to dive into this special mailbag we're doing, Ryan. And again, today we're going to be addressing the super chat questions that we have from folks. And so uh, right now, today, it's only super chats. Some of the questions we're going to bring up are not going to have super chats attached to them. But it's basically from people that gave a super chat that didn't ask a question with that super chat. But we still want to honor their question. So, you know, for example, Charlie Weiss's last belt loop asked a question that wasn't attached to a super chat. But then he gave a super chat basically encouraging Coach Gump, so we'll answer one of his questions as well. So that's what today's mailbag is going to be about. And as I said before, every single penny that we get from Google uh, in regard to the Super Chats, we are going to donate on behalf of Irish Breakdown uh, to to this fundraiser because it does go through the weekend, so we'll have time to have it processed. I'm very excited to be a part of that and to be able to help that. So you will see over the next couple days, whenever the amount is processed, You'll see a on the because it says everyone that's donated. I've already given personally. It, then I'll give one on behalf of of everyone at Irish Breakdown as well. So we'll have that also. So I'm looking forward to that. So that's why we are doing super chats only today, uh, folks. I definitely want to make sure that you guys understand that. And to everybody that we kind of pulled up during the show, Full House Backfield, John DeCrisio, Ryan Randolph, uh, getting up here, uh, go through all these. Tom Connor, uh, Irish Eagle ninety, Fat Jack thirty three, DJ. Uh, Gumbo and Boudain, Bobby St. Thomas, Father Penny, uh, all of you, Charlie Weiss's Last Belt Loop, Jimmy James, uh, all of you that gave Super Chats that were just not even to ask a question, just to because you wanted to help. I appreciate you all so very much. I knew this community would step up. They, you always do. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to that. Because we, Ryan, we've only been planning this for like 24 hours. It's wild. And we're already raised over $500 on top of what people have just given in response to it. So, uh, and, and so like we've raised about $500, but the softball team has already raised over $30,000, which is awesome. So they're getting close to meeting their goal of 40 and they haven't even got to the weekend series yet. So that is amazing. The Notre Dame community has helped up, has helped out once stepped up and helped out once again. So just an amazing thing, but it's football time now, Ryan, and we're going to get some questions. All right. So you ready to, 
You ready to rock and roll, Mr. Roberts? Let's do it, man. I'm trying to collect myself from that emotional state that that video well, put me you in. You know, Ryan, I think yeah. for you, too, is like you are a father of a young girl. Yep. Jules isn't that far away from being the age that Tatum was when she went through that. So no. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I lost my dog Brady to cancer. And I remember how devastated my family was. And it's a dog. It's not even a child. So it's, uh, it, it's just a different feeling because Juliet is two now. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, Tatum was four. <laughs> like it's yeah. not far at all. And I mean, I, I think of even like when Jules just gets sick, right? Like when she has a cough or when she's throwing up, like, you're terrified, you know, you're absolutely terrified, but that obviously isn't a potential for death, right? For like the fine, like the just, yeah, man, just the permanence of it is just so scary, man. It really is. So um, I'm glad to see that she's supporting this. And I'm really, I'm really glad that Coach Gumpf is, she believes in it this much, you yeah. know, and, and understands just how much it means to other people, not even just for herself, you know, because she's the lucky yeah. one, right? She's one of the right. lucky ones that family got Very through blessed. it. But yeah, yeah. very blessed and fortunate. Incredible, man. Absolutely incredible. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, let's, so let's get to this. And of course, you know who we're kicking it off with, Ryan. You, yep. you, you, you know where we're going with this to start with. John A1, super chat. John, thank you, as always, man. He said, is cover two still the most effective base coverage? Brian, I, I so I actually saw this one before while you guys were, you know, while you were still interviewing coach. And John, I wouldn't this is my thought on like coverages, right? I want something pre-snap that can be the most effective to roll into different things. I think that that for me is when a coverage is most effective. It's a shell though. It's not the actual coverage, right? Like I'm not saying drop in the cover one, drop two, drop three. What I'm saying is when you have a two high alignment, so that's two safeties on the hashes, you can do a lot of different things out of that. You can play two, you can play quarters, you can roll and play cover one. You can roll and play cover three. You can do a lot of things out of that alignment. So I like two high shells, but it doesn't necessarily mean I would say that 
cover two is the most effective base coverage. I think it's more about the alignment for me personally, and there's a preference. Because, I mean, I've been on some teams where we suck to cover three. I've been on some teams where we suck to cover two. and So no team's the same. But, I mean, obviously that does fit into what does your team do well, right? So I think that changes pretty consistently. But I am a big fan of disguise and coverages. I'm a big fan of if I set up in too high post pre-snap, there's a lot I can do out of that. If you line up with just a single high, though, and you're in a single high shell, there are some limitations to that. It's hard to get back into certain types of coverages, but when you're in a too high shell, it could be a lot of different variations, which I think is really effective, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you I think you rightly s- differentiate between cover two and a too high shell. N- not many people really play cover two anymore. What we've seen, what we've seen, it evolve into. It's more of a boundary coverage now, much more so than a a full field coverage the way it used to be, Ryan. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Number one is with anything, teams over time learn how to combat it. Like we, we were talking yesterday. Remember, we were talking about like the 01 and 02 Miami teams, Ryan. They used to play two man a ton. I mean, I that was what man. they did. They love played it. two man a ton, and you're seeing teams are so able to have success now with that. But because it gives you that five under man coverage ability where cover two to the field, if you're running cover two to the field, the way that passing games are nowadays, you're putting that field safety in a really tough spot. I mean, a yeah. really tough spot. And so you're you're seeing just cover two being more part of a combo. So teams are running a lot more two into the boundary, four to the field, and maybe two to the boundary, maybe man to the field. There's all there's pattern match stuff that will go with yes. it. And so you, you you just don't see a lot of pure cover two anymore. I think your point was spot on, Ryan, of cover two structure, yes. which is, is, is really the way to go because you can roll your safety down, field boundary, and then get another – to get a guy in the box, you can start in cover two and, and press your safeties up and then bail into a cover four. Uh, yep. You can go cover three out of it post-snap. And it because quarterbacks are taught this you're recognizing open versus closed center of the field. Yes. So you teach quarterbacks pre-snap, one of the things you look at is the, is the middle of the field open or closed. So essentially, if there's one safety in the middle of the field, that's considered a closed. It's closed. The center of the, the, the middle of the field is closed. If it's a too high structure, then it's, a, it's an open middle of the field, and your yep. read is going to reflect that. Well, if I'm my quarterback is reading four verts, for example, Ryan, and I'm going to read four verts, Versus cover two differently. I'm reading to a side. I'm reading the safety to the side. If it's cover three and I'm running four verts, I'm running. I'm reading the two seams. Well, if I'm thinking I'm reading, you know, the, the you know the field side or the boundary side, depending on where you know wherever it's going to be, and all of a sudden they roll that sucker down and that field safety rolls back. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking this guy's going to be a hook curl guy. But all of a sudden, he gets up underneath that wheel route. My my quarterback has got to make a really quick reaction and adjustment to that. Veteran quarterbacks can do that, but it can create some mistakes. And so that you see so much more of that. But I'm with you, Ryan. I still believe a too high structure is a great way to base your defense. And here's the other thing, too. Some teams will do this. It's a little harder to do this, Ryan. But you'll see teams show a cover one structure and roll to two uh you can do it a couple different ways you can have like sort of like a true two to the boundary but then it's almost like an invert to the field where actually the corner will buzz to sort of play that half field from an off coverage standpoint 
and the safety will run hook curl, and then the flat defender basically takes over the cornerback's responsibility. doesn't look like cover two traditionally, but it's essentially accomplishing the same exact thing. I don't see that a ton anymore, but you'll see stuff like that as well. And I think that's where defenses have to go in order to, to match just the the spread the field stuff from defense from offense. This is you've got to create confusion. You've got to create missed opportunities. And if you have the ability to go to play, this is why man coverage is coming back, Ryan. If you have the ability to play man coverage at the second level, that gives you a lot of different options to take away the quick game and some of those different things and put teams into a bind and allow your pass rush to have a bigger impact. So it's a great no question, doubt. John. I mean, that, that's why you're now seeing a lot of former safeties become the linebacker position, mm-hmm. right? That overhang position, the big nickel. Like, you're seeing all that type of stuff, man. Like, I mean, even variations. I love that you mentioned kind of the combo coverages too, Brian. Like, I saw Coach Brandt was talking about, like, cover six. I mean, for people that don't know, that's, like, that's cover three on the front side, cover two into the boundary, right? So, like, those different types of things are very that, – that's the one part of the game that I think is is still very evolutionary, right? Like, we're still finding different ways to show that variation, right? Like, there's barely any teams, especially in the NFL level – specifically and even on college level they're just going to run a typical cover three right right? like barely anybody ever does that it's the pattern match stuff where you know depending on what a defender does it could it could uh the coverage could rotate between zone or man depending on kind of how what you're looking at from a from a pattern a lot from a pattern combination type of perspective that's why i mean coverages are so fascinating that's one of the greatest things that coaching taught me because I was a front seven guy, right? So like mm-hmm. I knew as a linebacker, like I need to get to my hook curl or my curl flat or whatever it ends up being, right? But I didn't understand until I was in coaching that like knowing what's happening in the back forward really opens up your mind to like why everything is working the way it does. Yeah. And yeah, coverages do that for you, man. It really does. Absolutely. All right, let's get to some more here. Question from Coach Brent, 574. Coach Thank ben. you for – Coach Bent, yeah. my, my yeah. apologies, my apologies. Thank All you for the good. super chat. It was great to finally meet BD and see Vince on Saturday. Bummed I didn't get to meet Sean Davis too. Today is another reason why we love IB. Yeah, it was great meeting you, Coach, and it was, and, I, and I appreciate the uh, the little info you told me from being able to see practice. But uh, you know, obviously, we didn't publish it because I don't want Coach to get in trouble, and I don't want them to stop having coaches be there. But uh, yeah, he got a chance to see the full practice on Saturday. That's and, awesome. and so, yeah, I was very jealous, very jealous, very jealous of you. Uh, Zach Martin brought this super chat up earlier. Zach, I'm so sorry that I missed this question that you had for Coach Gump. I really apologize. I saw it. I started. I saw Screw Cancer and Coach Gump, and I just kind of – there was a bunch of super chats in a row that were just encouragement, and I'm just sorry I missed this, man. And I just – as I went through it, I do apologize. Because I would have liked to have heard that story, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. Uh, I think that would have been a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, Coach was great. She answered questions. Uh, she she uh, It was really cool to, to be able to chat with her. I, I hope we are able to do that again uh, with them moving forward. So we had a super chat from Rob Osgood. It says, love the show. Love the boards. Best in the business. Appreciate you, Rob, very, very much. Rob, if you want to get a question in later, you can. Since you gave the super chat, I appreciate that. Uh, same with you, Coach Bent. If you guys, since you guys gave super chats to support but didn't ask questions, if you guys have questions later, we will we will get to those. Let's get down here to Jack Reacher's elbow. Ryan, have you seen this series on Amazon Prime? Have you watched I have it? Not. I, I nope. should have known the answer is going to be no. <laughs> it's really on, good. <laughs> I didn't love the movie. Like, I didn't love the the movies were okay with Tom Cruise, but like my mom had poisoned my head on it because she had informed me like the real Jack Reacher in the book. Not yeah. the real Jack Reacher, but the character in the the novels is like a really big guy. 
and they had Tom Cruise play it. Well, in the series on Amazon Prime, I, I loved the first season, but it's a really big guy. I mean, he's huge. It's uh I forget the guy's name, Alan so, Richman, so, I think is no so so five so five nine Tom Cruise didn't do it for you then? No, he didn't do it for me. No, I just <laughs> no, he didn't do it for me. But uh it was really good. It was really good. I enjoyed it. So Jack Reacher and he he would hit people with elbows, like just knock people out with elbows. So there's a there's a prison scene where some guy comes in, he's trying to start some badness, and he just like he headbutts the guy and then puts his head up against the thing. And he's just hitting him with his elbow. So that's where the Jack Reacher's elbow thing comes from. So just wanted to give a little context to the to the great name. So you can go ahead and read the super chat now, Ryan. And the question is, in your opinion, which offensive and defensive recruits not currently training towards Notre Dame could be swayed by a big season playoff playoff appearance at least? Oh, I think there's a lot, Ryan. I think it's especially yeah. true in the 25 class. Yes. I, I, I think, yes. you know, I think – you know, but I, I, I like guys that are. Here's the problem: a lot of guys are waiting right now to commit compared to in the past. But does that mean they're waiting until July and August, or does that mean we're going to see more and more kids get into the fall? The re, the the problem with recruiting kids based on your season is so many kids are decided by the time we get to the fall that yeah. now you have to flip them, and that makes it a little bit harder to do. But I I certainly think there could be some receivers. That could be impacted. Like, let's just say right now, a guy like Ryan Wingo loves Notre Dame, loves the school, loves the coaches, but he's like, but I also want to be a first-round NFL draft pick at receiver. Sure. And right now, Notre Dame's offense isn't going to get me there, which would be a very fair assessment for Ryan Wingo to have. I couldn't fault him on that. Yeah. But then he goes out and he's like, wow, Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's doing some stuff. Could they maybe – reunite with him ignite with him sure i've seen that throughout my career ryan i remember even like 2010 i remember talking to a notre dame coach at the time and after they ended the season with like five straight wins blasted utah then they ended up just embarrassing miami in the bowl game they had kids that had turned them down calling them after the bowl game saying hey coach are you interested again and that was one of the things that got aaron lynch back interested in notre dame and why they were able to end up flipping him was he's a florida kid that watched notre dame just physically destroy Miami for 60 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, yo, the way that they finished the season, man. That, and so it happens. It just, it sparks interest, but it doesn't always then be enough to then just flip a kid to, to decide. So, you know, I, I could see something like that, It, but it's a small number of kids in the 24 class where you're going to yeah. see the season have a big impact is on the Talon Taylors. It's going to be on the 2025 quarterbacks, the George McIntyres, the Bryce Underwoods, the, you know, guys like that. I think that's where a season has a big impact because kids are just deciding so much sooner now, Ryan. Yeah, that it just it, it doesn't give you as much of a chance to really to really have that impact. Yeah, I think I think for me, twenty twenty five as well. The cornerback position, I think, is one that is going to be tremendously impacted as well because I mean, I think I've already talked to a couple guys, Brian, in the twenty twenty five of the cornerback group that mentioned Benjamin Morrison like firsthand. They're like, oh, you know, that was really crazy what he did as a as a freshman, if he follows it up with another big season and let's say Cam Hart has his best season to date as well. I mean, I think that you're looking at it and saying like, yeah, man, like to continue that cornerback train that Mike Mickens is starting to produce, right. With what he's gotten 2024 already, what he did in 2023. So I think a couple corners could be impacted. I, I like your note on wide receivers. I think that that is one that could, I mean, if Notre Dame takes an uptick there, they could really, I think make headway, not only with the wide receivers, but with quarterbacks, you know, you say like, Hey, Bryce Underwood, you know, like, you know, we, we know that you're going to be a tough cool, pool dog, but like, you see what Sam Hartman just did? Imagine what you right. could do with this, with this staff right. and with this team moving forward. So right. I think quarterback, wide receiver, 
some corner. I mean, Coach Pickens is doing a great job in, in general, but like if he continues to show on-field success that we saw last year and continues that, then even more high-profile corners might want to come to Notre Dame as well. I think what this does, Ryan, more to Jack Reacher's elbows question is, it do, to me, it solidifies kids already in the class and then kids that like Notre Dame, but maybe they're not number one or number two with the kid. Right. It then can move them. I think, for example, I think the way the running backs played last year after the first couple games, I know for a fact had a big impact on Jeremiah Love. He liked Notre Dame a ton. We felt that Notre Dame was in a great place. But I think watching like the North Carolina game yeah. had an impact. It was, but it was something that finalized it for him. It wasn't where he was leaning to somewhere else because he committed like what a week later, something like right? that. Yeah, it yeah. was, but it, it helps. Like, okay, this is where I wanted to go. But now seeing in action what they were saying to me because it was the Cal and North Carolina games where you really saw Chris Tyree and the running backs really start to go and be used in the pass game and the run because even against Cal, you may, who had the longest pass catch of the game on off uh, i think it was on the entire offense ryan but definitely at running back that game it was all yeah. to guesstimate yep you know and, and it was uh you know just seeing seeing him uh be able to go out there and, and make plays you started to see the receivers uh it, uh, the running back start to make a lot more plays and that was something that didn't necessarily say hey you know i was leaning towards a&m or somewhere else but boy now i'm going to to, to jump on board wasn't that, but watching those eight catches for 87 yards against Cal is something that was like, okay, they've been telling me they want to do this. Now yeah. I'm seeing it. Now I'm sold. And then against North Carolina, it was a very similar story, right? I'm pulling this up now against North Carolina. The running backs, she had Logan Diggs at three for 65 and a touchdown. Chris Tyree had four for 24. She had another six catches for 89 yards. So back-to-back games where the running backs had eight over 80 yards receiving plus the rushing. It, it's those kids that it moves, Ryan. It's those kids that, yeah. that they're already in that top group for, and it solidifies it for them, I think, is where it has a bigger impact on the, the current class. The I, biggest swaying kids who may not be interested is always the, the next year's class. You mentioned Jeremiah Love, Brian. It always I, I feel like we really underrate how great of a job this coaching staff did in that Jeremiah yeah. Love co- recruitment. Because Can we talk about what are the two games that Jeremiah Love went to last year to visit? It was Marshall and Stanford. Yes. And they still got it, man. Yes. It's wild. Yes. <laughs> wild. Yeah. yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I, I thought about it the other day. I'm like, wow, he literally went to the two worst games of the year. That's wild, yeah. man. Absolutely yeah. wild. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> but it was the selling thing that 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 yes. you get to. You know what I mean? Uh, that you look at and say, okay, but it was it was the vision is what yeah. I'm referring to. No doubt. Um, so I just – it is kind of funny you say that. It reminds me of, like, the fact that Manti Teo visited when Notre Dame played Syracuse in 08 and lost. You know, like, that's the game he visited for. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was <laughs> – yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, let's see here. Let's get to some more here, Ryan. Great, great question. Here we go from Josh Miller. Thank you, Josh, very, very much. Yep, thank you, Josh. He says, if Marcus Freeman gets hired when Brian Kelly got hired, and only thing that changes is quarterback recruiting and assistant coach hires, does Notre Dame have one or more championships? So oh, I mean, boy. so so hypothetically, we're talking about Marcus Freeman now, right? Not obviously. Yes, because like time. even in twenty three <laughs> at the yeah. time, I would have assumed he probably wouldn't have been a very good football coach at the time. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, honestly, I'll say this. If, if, if I'm, I'll say this, this is going to surprise some people. If Brian Kelly would have been, done a better job with coaching, recruiting into quarterbacks and done a better job with assistant coach hires, he has a national championship. Somebody asked me yesterday, why don't you think Brian Kelly is going to win a championship at, at LSU? This right here. Yeah. Because of this kind of stuff right here. There was always something that he did that kept the team from winning. You know, Ryan, I was talking with Brian Smith the other day, and um, we were just kind of talking about the teams. And, you know, one of the things I push back on is, well, Notre Dame can't recruit a championship roster until they do X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, they've already done that. They've already had two teams that were capable of winning a championship if two things are different. In 2015, different strength coach, different defensive coordinator. I truly believe you're telling me that that 2015 team that almost beat Clemson on the road with freaking Brian Van Gorder as your defensive coordinator couldn't have beat a Jacob Coker-led Alabama team? That was a very good Alabama team. But it's not It's not like, it's not like the 2020 team that Bama yeah. had or the 2011 or 2012 team that Bama had, it wasn't as good as those teams. I think Notre Dame could have played with those teams. But why? It wasn't quarterback. It was quarterback development, but it was more so coaching. 2017, yeah. 17 team, the 2018 team, two teams that had opportunities to be there, but it was decisions that he made with because the Brian Van Gorder stuff put that team back in 17. But in 2018, you give me a better quarterback in 2018, and that team can play with anybody. I don't care what anybody says. Had one of the five best defenses in college football, solid offensive line that was still living off the Harry Heastan era, two monster receivers on the outside that were NFL high NFL draft picks. You had a running back that ended up not being a high draft pick, Ryan, but was a heck of a college running back in Dexter Williams. You had a drafted NFL tight end. The only thing that was different is Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray, Tua Tungavaloa, and Ian Book. One of these is not like the other, Right. <laughs> One one is not a first round NFL draft pick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and so they've been close. So if Brian Kelly simply would have done these things better, I think they'd have at least one championship. And then the thing is, what well, 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 if they won in twenty fifteen, doesn't mean they'd win in twenty eighteen. But my point is, imagine the recruiting boost they would have got from winning it in twenty fifteen. You know, and or or yeah. even losing the same way Clemson did where it's a barn burner back and forth game where people are like, yo, Notre Dame is legit. And it doesn't look like 2012 where they got embarrassed. So those are the things that even if BK would have done that, it would be there. Now, where does Marcus Freeman come into play? That's going to be a big thing. He's going to have to answer. If he's going to have success is can you recruit and can you and your staff be a part of recruiting and developing quarterbacks? Because I don't think Notre Dame had a quarterback recruiting problem. I think Notre Dame had a quarterback development problem. Sure. That's where I'm at. Because, you know, when you when you look at it, Ryan, your, your starting quarterback should have, in 2017, shouldn't have been Brandon Wimbush. It should have been Malik Zaire. Yeah. Imagine if Notre Dame would have developed Malik properly, and he's your quarterback in 2017. And then... Brandon Wimbush has developed properly. He's ready to take over in 2018, and he hasn't been ruined by Mike Sanford Jr., and he's a different quarterback. Then when Brandon's time is done, Phil Dracovic replaces him. You see where I'm going with this? This is the problem. It was quarterback development. Can Coach Freeman rectify that? We're going to find out. And, and, and look, 
There's no excuses for Coach Gadouli and Coach Freeman over the next few years, Ryan. None. No. That quarterback room is loaded. Yes. And a guy with arguably as much talent, if not more than all of them, is coming next year, right? So there's no excuse there. It's about recruiting. It's the development. And then the other one is, can he hire, make good hires? And then when the hires he makes don't pan out, which is going to happen because it's happened to Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Jim Tressel, Dabo Sweeney. I mean, it happens to every Kirby Smart. It happens to every coach. Can he recognize it and correct it? Now, correcting doesn't always mean firing. Correcting could mean, hey, I believe in this guy, but I didn't lead him the right way. Yeah. I, you know, and it could be that, or it could be you have to fire a guy. Can he make those changes or not? And that's always a question mark for a first time head coach. I'm not saying he won't, Ryan. We don't know. Exactly. It's, well, but that, those are going to be the questions. I, I think we, he had something, not, not the same question, but it was similar when we were talking about Notre Dame yesterday, Brian. It's like, do I think that Marcus Freeman can win a national championship at Notre Dame? Yes, I do. Do I think he could be very successful at Notre Dame? Yes, I do. But it's still an unknown, right? Like that's my faith in it because I believe in the person running the deal and some of the moves that I'm seeing happen. But at the end of the day, like I, Josh, I just don't feel like I can answer this question appropriately because I don't 100% know what Marcus Freeman is as a coach. I, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. I think I know. I think I have a good grasp on – what he can be as a coach. But at the end of the day, we only have one year of data on this, right? Like we don't hundred percent know. So I think asking this in a couple of years is probably a little bit more appropriate. I mean, hopefully we don't have to have this conversation because it's like Marcus Freeman won a, na- a national championship. So like, yes, the answer is yes. Right. Like then the answer is an easy one, but just not enough data on, on coach Freeman for me to have like a legitimate, if I threw him in at 37 years old in the BK shoes, would he succeed more? I think, but I'm not, I don't know. I, I would be lying if I said I knew. Yep, I saw it. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at, Ryan, is is I think Brian Kelly missed opportunities to win a championship at Notre Dame because of things Agreed. he did. Now, did the administration support him the way that they should have in every capacity? No, they didn't. But did 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 he have the potential to win championships? Yes, he did. And Coach Freeman will as well. Even without, look, and I'll tell you right now, the administration is not supporting Marcus Freeman enough. They're not. It's not even close to what they should be, some things they should, in some areas they should be doing, flat out. And I'm, I'm going to talk more about this after the spring. Sure. But the point is, Ryan, uh, when you look at it, to me, it, it's one of those things where that's an excuse, not a a a, a, a fatal flaw, in my sure. opinion. It means you've got to do things to overcome it. You've got things to work past it. It's harder, but it can be done. And it's going to come down to coaching hires and quarterback development and recruiting. Now, the coaching hires thing, too, is that's where the administration needs to step up their game. They need to step up their game in a big way, and I'll have a lot more to talk about that. Just a reminder, too, and I forgot to mention this, Ryan, we will have a second show tonight at 5.30. So there will be no Ivy Nation sports talk tonight. I will be on tonight at 5.30 with Sean Davis. And I'm hoping that Brian Smith will be able to join us tonight at 5.30 as well. We are going to cover the pending decision by Anthony Knapp, who is going to announce tonight at 5.30 uh, between Notre Dame, Penn State, North Carolina, NC State, and Georgia Tech. So we will have that tonight. So, yes, we will We will have that. It's at 5.30, not 6. So 5.30, we'll, we'll go live with that decision. So, yes, that's uh, that's going to be – that's going to be important, obviously. Yep. 
Here is another one. From Brandon Pledsner, thank you for the super chat, sir. So does Notre Dame really require athletes to live in the dorms for three years? That is a terrible rule if true. Students should be able to live off campus after one year, in my opinion. I don't think that rule is the same anymore. I think they give exceptions to that. I'm going to disagree with your premise, though. I know why Brandon says that, because other schools allow it, and it's a recruiting pitch. I don't agree with it, though. Have, as someone who's worked on college campuses, there's a lot of value to kit students staying on campus in, in from a developing friendships, developing as a person, uh, the sort of uh, you, you're living in a communal type of atmosphere, which requires you to be thoughtful and mindful of others. Less opportunity and to get in trouble. Bingo. That's <laughs> yeah. the other thing. Yeah. And and so there there's just I think there's a lot of reasons why it's it's advantageous to stay on campus longer. And, and I get it. It hurts with recruiting. But if a kid's not going to come to Notre Dame because he has to stay on the on campus for an extra year, he wasn't coming to Notre Dame anyway. He was going to find some reason to not want to be here. And so like when Cardinal Tate was talking about the dorms, that's a bullcrap excuse. If you wanted to be here, there's been a lot of great players better than Cardinal Tate that that had no problem doing that or didn't like it, but it was worth it because of all the value that Notre Dame brings. Now, should Notre Dame have old dorms? No, that's bullcrap. That's that's cheap. That's Notre Dame being cheap again as an institution and not and you got these kids paying $70,000 a year. You can't give them freaking modern dorms like updated dorms. That's just Notre Dame being cheap. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, though, if if you value what Notre Dame can provide for you, then you suck it up for a little while. You know, and that's just the reality of it. But if somebody's not and somebody doesn't want to do that, then ultimately they didn't really want to be at Notre Dame anyway. And they would have found some other reason, in my opinion. Yeah. So I don't really worry I, about it too much. I, I saw Brandon earlier said that uh, that a recruit had talked about this recently about Card- the three year. I thought He's, it was Cardinal Tate, right? I yeah. thought he had said Jordan Young had said something about it in another gotcha. interview he did. So I'm going to have to check in on that. Actually. Yeah, there are except that's the policy, but Notre Dame allows exceptions for that. Gotcha. But at the end of the day, if that's why a kid doesn't want to come here, then that's the reality of it. Now, that doesn't justify the dorms not being up to date. That's a bull, that's bull crap, total bull crap. But it's just it, to me, it's two different things. In theory, I think there's it's good for players to for students to be on campus longer i think that's a benefit in my opinion and, and ryan you hit the last one yeah so get in trouble yeah. a lot yes yep yes. yep i agree i agree <laughs> okay. all right here we got one from john a one john thank you again for the super chat if notre dame uses six wide receivers how many freshmen will play of the six that's interesting. At least one. I mean, because you're one. you're most likely going to have. Let's let's assume there's no injuries, right, Ryan? You're going to have yeah. Deion Colsey. Yep. Uh, or actually, you're going to have uh, yeah Deion Colsey. You're going to have Lorenzo Styles and Jaden Thomas. You're going to have Caleb Smith, the elder. Yep. You're going to have Tobias Merriweather. That's five. So barring injury, that's most likely five of the six. Yep. So you'd have one freshman. One freshman. If a yeah. second freshman is playing because and and not because of injury. The odds are pretty good, Ryan. That means that guy is a dude. Yes. I, mean, it, it, I don't I don't think people Here's, really realize how good this group is. Rico's looks great, yeah. but have you seen how many times Sam Hartman and Braylon James are connecting on bombs? I feel like I'm watching the same play again. That, I'm like, nope, not the same man, play again. That, that one down the sideline, though, over oh the shoulder. God, that that throw was ridiculous. But, yes. Braylon, but Bra- what was this Braylon's issue last year at times? What was Braylon's issue the first day of practice? Tracking the ball down the field. No. He tracked it beautifully 
and kept his feet in bounds. So you're already seeing that growth. But you know where that growth comes from, Ryan? Repetition. This team is throwing a billion bombs in practice right now. It is ridiculous. And that's a good thing because yeah. that's how it gets good. I'm working on a film breakdown now, Ryan. I went through a lot of Sam Hartman's 21 film, and I've got like 10 minutes worth of video. i got to pare it down a little bit that I'm going to do a, a, a kind of a breakdown video on here, hopefully in the next few days. But, uh, I mean, those those Wake Forest receivers made a lot of plays on the football. It's Not, not every throw is just dropping on a dime. Sometimes sure. it's not a great throw. But you make those plays as a receiver because you've done it with that quarterback so many times. And then the quarterback gets faith of, hey, I just need to put it up for this guy, give him a chance because I know he's going to go make that play. That comes from repetition. And I love it's, the fact that they're doing so much of that right now. Yeah, it's a trust thing, man. It's It really is. And like you said, I mean, there's a few guys in the Notre Dame's roster that kind of excel in that area, right? You like to talk about Dion, you talk about Tobias, should be very good in the air. Braylon James should be very good in the air as he continues to get stronger. So I keep, tell, I keep saying it, man, but Sam Hartman has loved long receivers outside the numbers yeah. in his career, and Notre Dame certainly has some long receivers outside the numbers this year. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Good question, John. Good, Very good question. Uh, and we we did the uh, one from Brand on the dorm. So let's get down to yep. another one here from Josh Miller. Josh says, dream season scenario. Who do we play in the playoffs? Mine would be Michigan in the semis and LSU in the championship. That would I be mean, it's cool. hard to go against that, man. <laughs> That's it really, cool, it really man. You know, because like you'd, you'd probably have a win over Ohio State and USC in the regular season. Yeah. Because if you're in the playoff and then you get to beat Michigan in the semis and LSU in the championship, that would be a dream season. I, I still would say like – that is a dream season from from for me in my personal like my personal like revenge tour type scenario. I still believe, however, that a national championship ideally includes beating Georgia or Bama at some point, even yeah. if it's in the semis. So, to me, my dream scenario would actually be beating Michigan in the semifinals and then beating Bama in the title game, or beat or Bama or Georgia or beating Bama or Georgia in the semifinal, then beating Michigan in the championship. My dream scenario actually right now, I think about it. If I'm going to include what's best for Notre Dame, in the program, because what would that, what would that do, Ryan? The first scenario, a, you've just become the Kings of the Midwest. You beat yes. Michigan and Ohio state in the same year. You know, you're now the Kings of the Midwest because you have a national championship where Ohio state right now is the Kings of the Midwest deservedly. So, because a, they've won a championship in the last decade. And two since the 2000 started, whereas Notre Dame and Michigan have a combined total of zero since 2000. Ohio State has two. Penn State has none. Nobody has any except for Ohio State. And they're the best program. When you go out and beat them on the field, then you go out and win a championship. You're now the kings of the Midwest from a perception standpoint. And you did the same thing to Michigan. You beat Michigan, the only team that's really been like kryptonite to Ohio State the last couple of years. But then you beat them, and but then you also beat one of those, you know, you'd be one of those championship teams. Now you've kind of slayed the big dragon, the Georgia, the Alabama dragon, and you've beaten Clemson in the regular season. Like you've literally checked every freaking box that you can imagine. That's from yeah. a big picture standpoint. If I'm looking at this selfishly and what I would enjoy the most is two SEC teams make the championship, Georgia and LSU. Notre Dame plays George in the first round or plays LSU in the first round beats them then goes and plays George in the championship game that would be the dream scenario for me combining what the prestige would mean and then also with just the personal 
revenge tour type of situation. Thoughts, yeah. Ryan? Well, no, I mean, I, I immediately, literally, when Josh put the two teams out there, I was like, "That's that's it, right there." Like, <laughs> what am I going to argue against that? I mean, oh man, I mean, that would just. And this is me from a hatred perspective as a Notre Dame fan, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Michigan's it, right? Like, would love to defeat Michigan, especially because it's not a team that Notre Dame plays every year anymore, right? right? Like, that rivalry has, has gone away a little bit. But LSU is the team that I really want to get a shot at, man. Like, if I'm Notre Dame, it's just, look, call it call it saltiness, call it whatever you want to call it, right? But at the end of the day, that would be a great headline in order to beat an LSU team in a championship or in a playoff for obvious reasons. Like, you don't have to go into those reasons, right? So that would be fantastic. So, right. Josh, I think I think you might have hit it for me, man, honestly. Like, I'm trying to – I think you gave a great scenario, Brian. Like, I think that it makes a ton of sense from the perception and then the moving forward aspect of everything. Right. But from my Notre Dame fandom, sure. I feel like this is the only answer. I feel like sure. it's the only answer. <laughs> yes, if we're looking at this purely as Notre Dame fans, you get a win yes. over Ohio State, a win over USC, a win over Michigan, and a win yeah. over Brian Kelly. Yes, as a yes. fan, it's a 100% dream scenario. The question that I would be is, do you want – I would actually reverse it, though. You want Michigan in the championship? Beat, beat LSU in the semis because then Kelly continues having never won a playoff game. <laughs> True. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> that would be- I mean, e- either either way, I mean, because we talked about it yesterday that Michigan hasn't won a playoff game either, though. So either right. either way, right. one of those teams is winning. But I would much game, I'd but- feel better personally as a Nerdy yeah. fan if Harbaugh got a win than if Kelly got a win, to yeah. be completely honest with you. Or maybe maybe if I go with your original conversation about play Michigan. And then we beat one of the big SEC teams. What if LSU is has they control their own destiny in the SEC championship game and they lose and they don't right. make the playoff? That would be right. the other conversation we right. could have. If Notre Dame's going to beat LSU <laughs> in a championship game, I want it to be in a couple years. Yeah. So like, win the title this year. Don't play LSU at all. Play Michigan. Beat Georgia, Bama, and call it a day. Because here's why. I don't want to hear any freaking excuses from LSU fans about well, he doesn't he's still not there yet. He's only in year two. He hasn't been able to get the roster where he wants it. Blah, blah, sure. Blah, blah, blah. sure. Do it in like two more years. Notre Dame gets their number two title. <laughs> Cause now we're really in dreamland, right? Because he said dream sure. season scenario, right? So we're dreaming yeah. now. Yep. Um but uh <laughs> Antoine said, I know you dream of Brian, somebody better wake you up. <laughs> Just let me have this, Antoine. Okay, just let me Seriously, have it, man. Seriously, I would rather be in a couple years over LSU because then there's no excuses about what you know they don't have all of his recruits and blah 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 blah. So that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. So man, yeah. yeah. But uh, of course, then there's a the scenario of I don't want Brian Kelly to ever make another playoff appearance. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> all right, here we got one from Call Me Ty. Call Me Ty says, how many gap closers and gap erasers do you see a realistic targets in the 2024 class? Interesting well, one. Yeah, let's uh, let's remember, first of all, Ryan, let's define gap closer again for people that have forgotten or people who are somewhat new to our channel because we haven't used that term as much. And we'll use it more over the summer when a lot of our stuff is more about the summer. But gap closer at this point in time, I think Ryan froze. Otherwise, he's just like enthralled waiting to hear my answer right now. But um, gap closer is there's two types of gap closers, right? And then we'll, and the gla- gap eraser is different than that. A gap closer can be one of two things. Number one is someone who is by themselves 
is like, wow, this is a this is an elite, you know, this is a big time player. He helps you at this position really close the gap and and just make a big jump. It's it's the it's the CJ Carr, Cam Williams. They're traditional gap closers. And so I think those are those are one type one. And then type two is another one we talked about is where it's not one where you're like, you make this big leap towards being better or being on the same page of that team. It's, but it makes you better. So for example, let's look at last year's receiver core. Was there anybody in last year's receiving core that I view as like a no brainer five star right now, steps in day one and dominates kind of player. Like you'd think of a, of a gap closer or a gap eraser and we'll, we'll define gap eraser in a second. No, I don't think so. And there may not be a first round draft pick of this Notre Dame receiving core. There's guys with a chance to be that, but, but right now that, you know, they, they may not, they may not be there, but it could also be just a really good group that makes you better than what you were and better what you, than what you were is still closing the gap. So there's two different types of ways of that. A gap erasers, the elite of the elite. Uh, it's Keon Keeley. Uh, he's a gap eraser. Uh, he's that kind of guy. It's it's and there aren't many of those. That there there just aren't. And part of being a gap eraser is you have to beat one of those schools out for that guy because you've erased the gap. Because now I got Keon Keeley, which means I got the stud, but you didn't even you didn't. And that's part of it too. So like that's why I look at those guys. So Keon Keeley's a gap eraser. Benjamin Morrison's a gap closer, right? Uh, yeah. Justin Scott's a gap closer. I think yes. Justin Scott's a very good player. He's not quite on that Keon Keeley level. And there may only be three to five of those guys a year, Ryan. I mean, there's only two or three of them last year. Yeah. Like to me, Dante Moore's a gap closer, borderline gap eraser. After him and Keon, Caleb Downs, right? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. After that, I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of guys that I would consider true gap erasers in my opinion. So yeah. uh, that's that's kind of where – like there was no offensive lineman that would be gap erasers because there's no gap to erase from sure. a talent standpoint, right? They're already there. But at, at other positions, there, there was only a handful of guys that I would view in that group last year. CJ Carr's a gap closer right now. Yeah, he could he could he could end up being a gap eraser by the time his high school career is over with. But right now, he's definitely a gap closer, like the traditional, like big time. Okay, here you go. This kid has a chance to be that guy. But uh, there aren't a whole lot of gap gap erasers are more classes. It's a group of players at a position that closes the gap. It's not often just one guy, but of course, quarterback, it would be unique in that regard. Do you, do you consider, um, let's say, a Cam Williams a gap closer? Yes. yes. I mean, he's a top 50. If you're a top 100 player, you're a gap closer. I mean, sure. And if you're a top 50 player, you're at the top of that gap closing type of thing. No question. Okay. And I view Cam as a top 50 player yep. in my view. Uh, I think – and then the, the second – because what I defined, Ryan, was the second type of gap closer. If you remember, like for me, Owen Wafel's a gap closer to me in the, in the secondary sense that he's not a top – 50 to 100 player he i have like 150 to 175 but he's bringing something that you currently don't have yeah and in, in that i think he can be a disruptive nose tackle that can that that is a bigger version of howard cross now is he closing the gap and that hey we're gonna beat bama now because of him no he's a gap closer in that he's making you better at a position that right now you're not that good 
from a depth standpoint. And so there, that's where I say the two different types of players yeah. in that regard. Like Jack Larson, not a gap closer. He doesn't move the needle at tight end because there's not much needle to move, sure. right? Uh, same thing with like Peter. They're good football players, but every position's different in my opinion. Leonard Morin is not a gap closer to me. He's ma- he's continuing the strength of what you've done recently because yep. he's not quite on that Benjamin Morrison level. And, I, and I'm higher on Leonard more than most. So Same. it's just, it's, um, it's trying to be very fair with it and not just throwing every top 100 to 150 kid into that category. Sure. It's, it, it, there's context that's needed to those, right? And as I said, there's cool. two different types of gap closers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, to, well, to that point, I think that for realistic targets, one guy that I would say at safety, I would consider a gap closer is Jalen McClain. And I would yes. consider him for two different reasons. One, because I think he's really good, man. Like a top hunter kid, in my opinion, right? And then number two is, need to continue to strengthen that safety room. I mean, your right. depth isn't great there right now, and you need more impact depth especially. So mm-hmm. I would say Jalen McClain is for sure a gap closer in my opinion. There's yes. no doubt about that one. I don't view Kennedy Erlacher and Davis Andrews as gap closers. They're no. good football players that football would players. then make your cl- – like here's the thing. Can, let's just say their safety class is this, Ryan. Let's say they don't get Jalen McClain, just for argument's sake. Sure. And let's say they get uh, – trying to Gabriel get Kennedy or lacquer. Okay. Let's say that they get, um, uh, we were just talking Davis Andrews yep. and I'm just trying to look for another guy. Mar- Marquis Gallegos. Marquis Gallegos. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. None of those three guys by themselves are gap closers. That however, would be a gap closing class. Not because now all of a sudden you're on Bama's level, but it makes you better from where you are now. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's a minor move, but it's a move, and that matters to me. But in, to truly have a where you take a jump, you do need a Jalen McClain type of player. And yep. if you give me a Jalen McClain and a Davis Andrews and a Kennedy Erlacher, that's a big jump for me because of that one individual gap closer being in the class with two other good four-star caliber football players, in my opinion. Sure. So, well, uh, yeah. how, how about this one too, Brian? I mean, if you look at middle linebacker, would you consider Kingston, Villamo, Asa, a gap closer as a Mike linebacker? Yes, because he's a Mike. Yes, yes. because yep. I still don't know if Drake Bowen's going to be a Mike. Sure. You know, we, we don't know where Drake's going to play. They need, because th- that, number one, top 100 player. Yep. So that plays a role in it. Number two, specifically being a Mike, yes, he does. 
it, almost every top 100 player is going to be a, a, a gap closer to some degree with the exception of really tight end and line, offensive line. Sure. And that's and that's just because the gap's already closed. You're already there. Now it's about maintaining that level of excellence. Uh, so, but yeah, there those are those are guys like now, guys in the board, Ryan. So on the class in the class, we talked about CJ and we talked about Cam Williams. Those are the guys in the yep. class. Yep. I don't view Aeneas Williams as a gap closer. It's just about continuing to go. I I don't view Anthony Carey or Kedron Young as gap closers. I think they are about continuing excellent recruiting already in my opinion wide receiver of guys uh to me there's there's a lot of receive gap closing receivers on the board in my opinion yeah because of yes last year's class was very good but you need another one you need another really strong class you know so to me josiah brown is because why ryan he brings something you don't have a lot of on your roster right now which is pure home run speed speed right i I view isaiah canyon that way from a potential standpoint but he's still raw so his upside is there but i wouldn't call him right now that player now but the upside is certainly there in my opinion uh you look at some other guys on the board for me that i would view as gap closers jason robinson because he brings a skill set that you don't necessarily have not much uh, of those it, are some yeah. those are some receivers that to me are are true gap closers. But like you can make a case for like Micah Gilbert, you can make a case for Quasi Gilmer. The reason I wouldn't necessarily put those guys on there, even though I think they're excellent players, is because they're bringing skill sets similar to what you already have a, a decent amount of. It's more sure. about continuing that. The gap closers at receiver are those really athletic, dynamic, make plays kind of guys. I think there's a lot of those. Like Jeremiah McClellan to me is not necessarily a gap closer to me. They have guys like him. It's a good player. It's a good top 150 to you know t- kind of guy. I don't view him in the same way that I do like a Jason Robinson. I think Jason Robinson is a top 100 player. And I think if he was 5'11", he'd be viewed a lot differently nationally because yeah. he is a dynamic player, in my opinion. It's really nuanced for his age, too, man. He really, mm-hmm. he really gets it, I think. I think he gets the game of football. He sees it at a very advanced level. Yeah. So, Brian, obviously, Notre Dame is after two very – high upside tight ends. I know you already mentioned tight end at Notre Dame has, has you know, been historically a very strong unit, but would you consider either Jaden Riddell or Carter Nelson a gap closer or not? As no, I, I literally don't think in, that there's a chance to have another gap closer at tight end. I, I, if there was another Michael Mayer coming in, I don't think you can close the gap when you already have the best tight end in room in the in tradition in the, in the country. I just, I don't think that's, Doable, and I think that's true for Notre Dame and Georgia. I think both of those programs right now can't land a gap closer. The gap's closed. You're the gap that, like, you're the gap setter at that point yeah. in time. People are now trying to chase you. What I think it does, Ryan, and it's important, is a guy like Jaden Riddell, especially because he's got a higher floor. But even a guy like Carter Nelson, who's got a very high ceiling, because I said this the other day, right now Jaden Riddell is the better player, significantly the better player. Oh, I agree. Carter Nelson has a slightly higher ceiling, in my opinion. I agree. They're both excellent players. What they do is they maintain your dominance. That's why they're coming. There's no left tackle that can be a gap closer because you already have the best left tackle in college football. It's about can you maintain that level of brilliance. So Gearby Lambert can't be a gap closer. He's a borderline top 50 recruit with five-star upside. He's not a gap closer. There's no gap to close. At left tackle. I mean, name me a team in college football that's that over the last decade since Zach Martin was there, where your worst left tackle 
was Liam Eikenberg, who's a, con, a, a consensus All-American in the second-round draft pick. Sure, He's the low guy on the totem pole <laughs> for the last decade. There is no gap to chase or close at left tackle for Notre Dame. They're about to have they've – have, they've had now what? In the last decade, the only non-All-American they had was freaking Zach Martin, who should have been an All-American because his Seriously. 2013 season was disgustingly good. Yeah. But the tradition hadn't been established yet. The reputation, he set the reputation that others then built off of with their success. So I just don't think that there's a gap. Now, there are some gap closers at guard and definitely center potentially, but not at tackle, in my view. I mean, who are you going to get that's better than what you've had? Right. I mean, and the same is true at right tackle. They, Robert Hainsey, a third round pick, is your low man on the totem pole as you're starting right tackles in the last decade. Yeah, you know, because those left tackles all came from right tackle. It's just been like a revolving door from right to you know, Ronnie was at right tackle, moved to left. McGlinchey then replaced him, moved to left. You know, and then steps in Robert Hainsey, right now Blake Fisher. So Notre Dame's tackle tradition is as good as anybody in the country right now. There's no gap to close. Yeah, right. And so that's the way I kind of look at that. Those two, Brian. I, I, I think I think interior defensive line. There's a, a few that I can name oh, that yeah. I would consider gap closers. I mean, you mentioned Justin Scott. Mentioned Owen Wafel is that potential guy. I mean, if they get yeah, in, those David, are two different types of gap closers. So, yes. so that people understand. Yeah, I mean, if they get David Pele Pele, who you know to add size to that interior, that's a that's a close of the gap because again, that's one thing that Notre Dame needs to continue to get right. is more size and impact size, right? right? Like guys that can make plays, not just be there, right? Like that's kind of mm-hmm. what Notre Dame needs more of. So David Pele Pele, I think, was a guy that could be in that conversation. We mentioned Kingston at Mike. Mentioned Jalen McLean at safety. I think that's all I'm comfortable with calling gap closing at this point. Like, yeah, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. That's why. So again, it's, it's different at different positions, right? Edge, yeah. you know, the guys that they're on at edge, honestly, if I'm, if I'm being real about it, Ryan, there yeah. aren't any edge guys right now that I think they have a shot at that, that I view as gap closers. The only guy that's, that might visit right now that I view that way as a gap closer, there's yeah. two. And they're in different forms. Elijah rushing, flat out gap closer. Yes. Flat out. Yep. There's two other guys that I, that as I look through the list, that I think could be gap, that I would view gap closers from an upside standpoint. And that's Darian Mayo and uh, Malachi Williams. And it's debatable with Malachi Williams because he's so raw. But Darian Mayo has gap closing potential, but he's still raw. He's very sure. raw. Those are the only <laughs> edge players that I look at and say, those guys have, like, to me, like there's good player. Logan Thomas is a good football player, but yep. you have him already. I mean, you have guys like him. It's about are are you getting next level players on the edge at that position? That's yep. the bigger question mark to me. It's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, yeah. I know Brandon in the chat said, you know, would you consider Bronte Johnson a sa- at safety a gap? No, um, yeah, uh, yes, but but in the first sense, not the prime, not the big sense. Yeah, Bronte's a very raw player. He's very athletic, but he's a very raw player. Agreed, but. You know, he, he, he would be, he would be that in a, in a, in a, like, he's not my number one safety on the board. Jalen McClain is Bronte's my number two right now left on the, well, okay. honestly, he's my number three and Davis Andrews is my number two safety on the board. I That's love Davis Andrews. Love that guy. You, you know, who uh, would be Bronte, a, um... Bronte has a higher ceiling though, Ryan. Sure. It's sure. just, there's a big gap in, in where they are right now today as players. You know who you know who could quietly would have been a gap closer, but Notre Dame is you know it's just probably not going to work out. Is 
Tylen Singleton at Rover would be a gap closer to me, Brian. Like that would be a gap closer at yes. the Rover position. Yeah. 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 Because you you've really only got one guy there that maybe projects there in the future, and that's a maybe in Jaden Osbury. Yes. And I still think he probably ends up being a will. Before we move on, just a reminder to, to people, uh, cornerback, there's not a gap. Like even Caleb Beasley, Aaron Scott, they're not gap closers. They're building on the tradition that you've established. Because right now, I would argue Notre Dame has the best cornerback room in the country. And they just signed this past season one of the best cornerback tandems in the country as well. Right. Yeah. You could you you'd have to be a a you'd have to be a top 10 national type player corner. You'd have to be a Derek Stingley type of guy for me to to but that's more of a gap eraser. Like it's now completely erased, in my opinion. So it just depends on position by position. Like Tyler Eargas, you know, Jaden Riddell wouldn't be one for you. I just want to make sure I'm clear. It it it's not always just about is this a really good player or not. You have to have a gap to close to be considered a gap closer. Yes. Right? Like did Trevor Lawrence close the gap for Clemson a quarterback or did he just extend it? Right? Because you already had a championship quarterback. You replaced him with another championship quarterback. There was no gap to close. It was about continuing that level of dominance. When Alabama goes out there and gets a five-star defensive tackle last year and gets Keon Keeley, did they close the gap? No. They widened the gap. Widened the gap, yeah. You know, yeah, ext- And that's what you could gap. argue maybe with a Jaden Riddell is he's a gap widener. You can maybe sure. we could make come up with that and you know and come up with that phrase. That's what he is because the gap there's no gap to close, is the point. You've now maybe you entrench yourself even further into that position. I guess that'd be a good right. way of explaining it, Ryan. Yeah, that's a good way. So for yeah, sure, you can't close the gap if there's no gap to close. You okay. know, and so that's why I say tight end, left tackle. There's there's no gap to close <laughs> at this point in time. You know, so. Yeah, it's good. Good questions. Good questions. That's a good question. All right, Ryan. Here we go. Uh, now, Charlie. So Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss. Last belt loop did not has a couple super chats, but he's now given two super chats. One we have a question, but then the other one he gave just to support the cause. So I'm going to bring up this nice. question from him, Ryan, and I'm going to read it and I'm going to let you answer it. Okay. So Charlie says, "Would you consider what would you who would you consider a big time D line hall currently? Of the realistic options on the board, Charlie." One for me, I mean, Justin Scott's the the main conversation, right? Like you need to get Justin Scott. So it all starts and ends with Justin, in my opinion. So big time defensive line hole, though. You already have Owen Wafel in the class. If you get a Justin Scott into the class, I mean, yeah, yeah. You get those two in the class. And I think after that, man, you're talking about we need to find some of that size. I think that another – for me, I would want a third guy that might project as a big end or into the interior. So TJ Lindsay's a guy that I really like a ton, but you could also sell me on David Pele Pele if you just want to get three interior guys and then focus more on the interior and then get, get more of the edge in 2025. But I think that you need to get three of those big bodies. That would be a great starting point. And then after that, man, you need to find some pass rush on the outside. I mean, Brian mentioned a couple already, like Malachi Williams, I think would be a home run addition with the upside that he has. You can talk me into Logan Thomas, but I mean, Darian Mayo is another guy. So I honestly would focus more on the interior in this cycle and get those big bodies. And then I would try to find one high upside edge in this class at least, right? So I don't know, Brian, for me, like I look and I say, Wayful, Scott, one of TJ Lindsay or David Pele Pele, and then the edge, a guy like a 
Malachi Williams or Darian Mayo would be a great opportunity for you. You know, like I would say Jacob Smith and I wouldn't hesitate on it, but again, we're getting into the conversation of if you take Jacob, you're taking Jared and that's taking up one spot with probably a good player, but maybe not an impact player. Give me Darian Mayo and Logan Thomas over the Smith twins, right? That, that'd be my point. I think Logan Thomas can be part of a gap closing class. He may not be an individual that way, but I think you need a you need a viper in this class, and he's a good four star caliber player. So I don't think in order to be a gap closing class, every guy has to be a gap closer by himself. And and the reality is, Ryan is is there is no conversation of gap closing without if you're not talking about Justin Scott being in it. There's there's 100%. no hope for that to be a class of gap closing without that. I think Darren Mayo. You talk about a dream scenario, a realistic dream scenario, Ryan. I've got is, up Bryce Young when I was going through my list yeah, as well. He'd be yeah. he'd be a part of it, but like right now, a dream scenario for me would be Justin Scott, Owen Wafel, Darian Mayo, um, Bryce Young, and I'm trying to think of a a, a viper to, to that would fit that role. You know, I, Malachi I, Williams. Did you, did you like Anelu Lafayette out of I don't, Hawaii? There's not a lot of film on him. I've yeah. only seen like 10 clips of him, so I really don't know. I've heard good things about him, but I haven't seen him. Give me some viper like that, and I'm, I'm feeling good. The, the, the ideal scenario is, you know, yeah, you could flip an Eliza rushing, but, you know, that's I don't think that's overly realistic as of right now. Sure. So, but if you give me a class of Wayful, Justin Scott, Darian Mayo, Bryce Young, and and Logan Thomas, I'm feeling great about that D line class. Right. Not every single guy is a great player, but as a group, it's good because I still think Notre Dame needs a, one more year of getting big guys. I don't think last year's class just fixed it all by itself. I think you need I need another year because if some of those guys don't pan out or they get injured, now you're back to square one. I sure. do think they need one more year of just give me some bigs. And that's why I'm kind of focused on, to your point, Ryan, interiors and big ends in this yes. class. And then you give me a Logan Thomas type of guy to, to go with them, a Malachi Williams type of guy to go with them, I'm feeling great. Because now all of a sudden our talk, conversation about Al Washington changed completely. If you can the get three, that kind of class. The three top Vipers in 2023 season are all potentially back in 2024 as well, right? So it's not like an immediacy. So I think like if you find one Viper that has a decent upside to him and he can develop behind potentially Jordan Batello coming back, potentially, right? Having Joshua Burnham, having Junior Toya Labaka, then you could talk me into that one, man. You mm-hmm. could talk me into that. So, yeah, yeah. agree. So that'll be um, – I don't see any scenario in which the, the linebacker class is gap-closing. I think yeah. Kingston could be that by himself. For one position, right. But not as a whole. There's just not enough guys on the board to me that fit that. Now, if you could give me Kingston and Tyler Singleton, Ryan, now we're, now we're, man, we're, now we're cooking with oil now, buddy. Yes. You know, so I love that. Now, I never say cooking with grease because I don't cook with grease. So <laughs> – Cook with, yeah. cook with um with, cook with pig fat. Yeah. Yeah, I don't cook with grease. I don't cook with grease. Not that anything wrong, but I just don't. I just don't. Cooking right, with lard, let's... man. Cooking with lard. Yeah. Here's one, Ryan. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up to ask for you. It's okay. from Brandon Plesner, and he says, Ryan, where would you have Hartman going in this year's NFL draft? Uh I think um like right now, 
2023. So yeah. let's let's do that. And then I'll ask the second part of the question about the 2024 year. Thank you. In, in this class, Brandon, Sam definitely would have been drafted because the – so this quarterback class kind of falls off a cliff a little bit, in my opinion, after the top four guys. You know, you still have Hennon Hooker, who's going to be a really good day two pick, in my opinion. But then you're talking about guys like Jake Hayner, Tanner McKee, like, you know, just solid players, right? I think Sam uh, can Hartman – Can I interrupt you? Yeah. If, if I could put Jake Hayner in Tanner McKee's body, that's a heck of a prospect. Oh, I like Jake Hayner a lot, man. Yeah, he's going to stick small. around in the NFL for a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah I agree. Little. Yeah, he's but he's got a pretty good arm, man. He's really yes. smart and he's a gamer. Well, he's got that's some what that I'm saying. If you could put him. him in Tanner McKee's body, if yep. Jake Hayner is 6'5", 220, oh, we're having a completely <laughs> different conversation about the quarterback board right now is my point. No doubt. No doubt. I agree 100% on that one. For me, though, Brandon, like about Sam – I think Sam would get drafted, but I think it'd be somewhere in the day three range, like probably fifth round, give or take right there, right? Like fourth to six, somewhere in that ballpark. And I know we're going to get into like evaluation for next year, but I, I think the thing that we lose sight of, it's not always just about production when you're projecting to the NFL, right? Like production matters. What you do on the field matters. But the things that move the needle for NFL scouts to saying what is – so what's translatable to – winning on the next level is the physical traits, right? And that's where I think Hartman's just solid and not great, right? Like he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's six foot one, 208 pounds, 210 pounds. His arm strength is solid, not great. His athleticism is solid, not great. Like there's nothing physically that really pops with a guy like a Sam Hartman, which I which is why I don't think that he would be Two like it, honestly, if he would have gotten feedback to be like a day two pick this year, I think he probably would have entered the draft and not gone to Notre Dame, for instance, right? So I think fourth through sixth round would have been this year for, for me, Brian, somewhere in that ballpark. Because I just think the physical traits aren't outstanding, but he's just you know he's a gutsy, good quarterback who has sees the game at a high level. Right. right. This is so. Let me get to this part two. Yes, this will be an interesting one. Say he has a season with 3,000 y- passing yards, 25 TDs passing with single-digit INTs. Where would you project him in the 2024 20- NFL draft? Can I can I take a shot at that one, Ryan? Sure, and then I want to see if if I'm learning from you, from learning from my, my, my draft expert. I don't think those numbers in today's era move the needle at all for Sam Hartman. If anything, I think it confirms that he's not a big-time quarterback. If all he has is Jack – you basically just gave me Jack Cohn's season. You know, 3,100 passing yards, 25 touchdowns, seven picks. If Sam Hartman repeats Jack Cohn's success, that does not move the needle for me. What he needs to do, in my opinion, to 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 move up, because I think based on that scenario, Ryan, I would say he's probably drafted the same spot that you just said he's going to be drafted now. Day three guy. Yep. Yep. For me, what Sam needs to do is show that I can run a, a more of a pro-style offense, but I got to show that I can repeat that same level of production against the Notre Dame schedule a, with the Notre Dame pressure cooker and and lead Notre Dame to success as a team. I think and and I think that's got to come also with mechanical improvement. And hopefully he can cut down on the interceptions a little bit, maybe three, but if he throws 10 or 11 interceptions this year and and repeats the yards and the big plays and the 30 high 30 touchdowns, I can live with 11 interceptions. I I can as long as they're gutsy interceptions i don't want dumb interceptions but if they're like hey, i tried to make a play there i can live with that because i know that that means the next five times he's going to make a play i think you need from sam hartman at least 35 to 3700 yards and 30 plus touchdowns 
and, and I'm talking like 33, 34, kind of like Ian booked through in 2019. And then also the technical improvement of being more of a pure pocket passer. I think we need to see that stuff from yeah. him because I think people are going to be surprised at how, how well he throws the deep ball. I think right now, I mean, he's young, he's older, but to me, he brings more pure NFL talent to the table. If he can prove that than what Sam Howell did. And Sam Howell's about to be a starter in the National Football League this next year. So that was that's my answer, Ryan. How wrong am I? Let me hear it. I wouldn't say you're wrong. It's just a very subjective question, right? I, for me, Brandon, though, I, raw numbers aren't going to move the needle for me in general, I don't think, right? Because we've seen Sam Hartman put up really good numbers. Yeah. I, I I get your point, Brian, of like playing against better level of competition. Yeah, numbers at Notre Dame are that. different than numbers at Wake Forest. Sure, that's, but but – that's I, I, I guess my early point was it's the physical profile is right. what I'm talking about with Sam Sam Hartman, right? Like him him producing at the end at college level just in general, that's great. That's wonderful, you know. But we've seen a lot of guys produce at a high level that weren't good NFL players because they just lacked some type of physical profile. I think for me, the one thing that you said here, Brandon, that if so interception totals can be a little misleading at times because there's guys mm-hmm. some years that have low interception totals, but like there were a few that could have been intercepted, but just you know, bagged off someone's hands. Or their low catch. interception totals, like Ian Booker, because he refused to take any chances throwing the football. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I do think if Sam Hartman shows a better understanding of being a little more careful with the football, because the one thing about Sam is that could Sam start some games in the NFL? Sure, I think that it's possible. But the baseline for Sam has to be that you're a really good backup at worst, right? Like you have to have a floor to you. So showing that you're a better processor and not processor, that's the wrong word. Saying that showing that you're a better mitigator of risk at times, I think would go a long way to his evaluation because some NFL teams are going to say, you know, at worst, you need to be a good backup quarterback for me. Well, the people that are good backups are guys that don't make a lot of mistakes, right? That can keep you guys just kind of churning along, not, you know, not kill you type of thing. The game manager, quote, quote unquote. So I think that if Sam Hartman has a big season, though, and he shows that he can alleviate some of the risks that he's taken in the past or, or some of the interception totals, I think he can sneak on the day, too. I think it's possible. Yeah. Like third-rounder type of conversation? I think, I, I think it's possible. I th- Here's my thing, Ryan. Yep. Where did Ian Book get drafted? Fourth round. Fourth round, right? Yep. It, Sam Hartman's a better talent than Ian Book is in a lot of ways. I don't think he throws with quite the zip that Ian does. But Sam Hartman's got, a, I think, a better arm than people give credit for. And Ian Book's not that really that much bigger. I think you're looking at this as a pure scout, and I get it. I'm looking at this more of, of someone who studies what the the stupid things the NFL does or the way the NFL looks at it. And I, I, I fully believe that if Sam Hartman goes out there and has a 37, 3,800 yards passing at a place that's only had – Two quarterbacks ever do that and throws for 33 to 35 touchdowns and 10 picks. I think you're going to see it's going to be because why? He throws a great deep ball. He's going to have to tack down the field. He's going to have to tack the middle of the field. He's going to have to clean up his footwork, clean up his decision making, right? So it's to me, it's in the NF, we've seen guys that aren't that much bigger than him or aren't bigger than him be day two draft picks, in my opinion. The question for me is going to then be, and here's where we we don't have context for this question, is the other part of this too is who's in next year's draft? Sure. That's the other part of it, right, Ryan? Like if next year's draft is like um, Drake May, 
Caleb Williams and then not a whole lot else after that, then Sam could have a Jack Cohn type season and still go on day two because it's just the way quarterbacks are drafted. So I think that factors into it as well. But I, I just really believe if he has a monster season that it's going to bump him potentially into day two, to your point. Now, am I saying first round pick? No, I don't think his profile is ever going to allow him. His profile plus his age is never going to allow him to be a first round pick. Unless Sam Hartman grows three inches this offseason. That's just not going to happen. I think it's dumb because, I mean, we're going to see Will Levis get picked in the first round. And I'll take (laughs) Sam Hartman over Will Levis every single day of the week. Right now, forget what he's going to do at Notre Dame this year. But that's a different conversation for a different day, my friend. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I mean, because the person that you compared him to was Sam Howell, right? And even Howell slipped to the fifth fifth round. Fifth round? Fifth round, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Sam didn't have the body of work either. And Sam was coming off of a couple not great years as well. And I think Sam's going to – if Sam has the kind of production you and I are talking about, he's going to be coming off a couple really good years. I mean, Sam Howell's last year at North Carolina. And then, again, I, I realize that stats aren't the end-all, be-all, but I think they, they matter. His last two years, I didn't think he was – his best year was perfect. This last 3,056 yards, only averaged 8.8 yards per attempt and 24 touchdowns and nine picks. They ran the ball a lot, but there was a lot of bad film that year as well from Sam that last year. And I'm a, and you know me, I love Sam Howell as a college quarterback. I just don't think he was helped a whole lot. I think that hurt him. If Sam would have come to Notre Dame this past year and, you know, maybe things would have changed a little bit, who knows? But I, I'd be curious. Where, well, let me ask you this. This is kind of a fun. Where would if let's say Sam Howe would have taken a grad transfer to somewhere good, Notre Dame, somebody needed a grad transfer quarterback, mm-hmm. and thrown for thirty five hundred yards, thirty one touchdowns, and eight picks in this draft class. Where does he go? Is it similar? Because like last year's draft class was terrible, and he still went in the fifth round. He he's probably the. In this class, he's probably the sixth quarterback off the board. He's probably he's probably fighting Hendon Hooker to be the fifth guy okay. somewhere on day two, in my opinion. What would be the That's thing right. that could get him over Hendon Hooker? Would it just be the injury history? It would. It would be the injury and just kind of. I. I mean, I. Yeah, it, it'd be mostly the injury because I was going to say like you know the meetings and stuff, but like Hendon Hooker's a really smart, good kid too, so like yeah. he's not going to lose anything in there. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, it's it's the injury. I think more than anything. Yeah. And he's younger. He's a lot younger right. than Hendon. Hendon's right. already 25, and yeah. Sam still would have been 22. Yeah. So, right. Good one. It's good. Good discussion.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.